0: West West of the Ward Place Gate on the San Diego campus of Seton Hall University. He is the prodigal son of Marlboro Township, Mike Dizzy Dizzeri, Class of 2001. I am persona non grata at the Maplewood Municipal Pool, Tommy Chilkoharsky Class of 1997. We are the number one Seton Hall Pirate Podcast in San Diego. We are Left Coast Pirates. Good evening, Michael. How are you doing tonight?
1: Good evening, Tommy. I am ready to get into this and be a little bit optimistic tonight. If if that's okay by you. You want me to be
0: optimistic? I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, should I be happy? From a fan's perspective, I'm happy after every win. You know, it's a great thing. We won. But from an analytical standpoint, I'm supposed to be happy about this?
1: The season's still alive. You said the season was over. You said we lose and get to four and seven, just pack it in, book the NIT, and just wait till next year. So we got the win. I'm not telling you it was pretty, but the season is still alive. So let's be a little optimistic.
0: Okay, let's be optimistic we're at the rock saturday night and seton hall wins 63 to 58 miles powell was miles powell's for the last six seven minutes of the game he went for 22 on that night 10 for 10 from the line 13 of the team's final 15 points again this is supposed to make me happy no one else steps up Miles is going to take the team on the back against a mediocre to bad Creighton team. Okay. Mike, what
1: did you see? It was a game of runs. It was back and forth. The Hall gets out 14-5 to 5 right out of the gate. The crowd's into it. They let Creighton answer right back with a 10-0 run of their own. We go back and forth all the way up until halftime, two-point game at halftime. We come out of the gates like a bat out of hell again. 10-0 run. Feels like we got them on the ropes down 12. Creighton answers immediately with a 22-5 to 5 run. And then to end it, the good guys finally came through. to to close it out, and and we got the W. I mean, it was one of those we made the right plays in the final moments, it was a nail-biter, it's a one-possession game, it's just the way this team is. Was it ugly shooting across the board? Absolutely. Both teams combined to shoot under 33%, and without Creighton's four-guard attack, basically just kind of having a very off night for them. I mean, they finished 5-37 of for 13.5%. It was just not a good basketball game all around, but a win is a win, and we needed one in the worst way possible we said that they have to sweep this little mini home stand to get back to 500 step one is in the books. I don't know you
0: anymore, Mike. You just seem to get optimistic more and more as the season seems to go down. Yes, we won this game. We won this game at home. We won this game with Creighton's starting guards shooting an abysmal 13% for the game. How much more has to run in our favor for us to win? Do you think in two games when we're in Omaha, do you think we're actually going to see that team shoot 13% again and still squeeze? we gotta win?
1: I think there's a lot of things that are still a work in progress. There's there's a lot of things that I take away from this game that were positive. There was a lot of things that are still on the negative side of the spectrum, but at the end of the day, we wanted the season to still be alive. Um, all I'm saying is the season is still alive, and we go ahead and we move on to the next one. So, you, you want to digress? You you want to talk about what happened in this game? Alright, I'll throw the first point talking point out to you. I think we run them out of the building if our best two guards don't get into foul trouble again. I mean, there's no reason for Q and Powell to be saddled with three and four fouls throughout the the bulk of that second half. It's just, it's not acceptable. They should know better at this point the value of them being on the court for this team. And the fouls that they picked up to get number four, each of them respectively, was just not smart basketball. I mean, Q attacks the basket, misses a shot, and he's over the back on a loose ball. I don't even think he fouled the guy. The Creighton player that was Alexander goes up for the rebound, slips a little. Q is like in the wrong spot at the wrong time, and he gets called for the foul. Can't put yourself in that kind of situation. And then what's Powell doing? Late in the game on a fast break, grabbing, I think it was Cromple. He grabs Crumple's hand, arm, like blatantly grabs his arm on a fast break from behind. And he's complaining to the ref going, no! And Al-Abdanov, is like, uh, yeah, look, look at the replay. You, you grabbed his arm. Just not smart basketball IQ kind of plays. And we need both of those guys on the court. Well,
0: they're complaining. That's standard operating procedure these days in basketball. I mean, the Mamu shrug is just ridiculous at this point. Miles shouldn't have been complaining about that. Both those fourth fouls were atrocious basketball plays. Q was forcing the issue to begin with. It, it was just bad basketball there.
1: Once again, if it happens on the road, if it happens in, a, in another situation against a better team, they're not going to be able to overcome that. So there you go. There, there's one thing that I wasn't happy with relative to the, the game flow and, and how things played out. So no, I, I wasn't happy with that. They probably can't overcome that in other situations. I also have an issue with the fact that this team is struggling with depth. So we see the four fouls to both more key guys in the backcourt. We see Mamu struggling again. And I'm looking to the bench for that spark, but I don't even have the guy that I'm expecting the spark from, even in a uniform. I, it, I, it was,
0: I know who you're going with. You're expecting, you've spent the entire season bad mouthing this poor kid. You've spent the entire season talking about how disappointed you are in this kid. And now you're looking toward Torian Thompson for a spark off the bench. This is look- a little ridiculous, Mike. I,
1: I'm looking for him to play some type of role at this point. I think we've dialed back those expectations. He's not going to be in the starting five. There are fans out there that believe every time he has a good game, he should get elevated to the starting five. I'm not in that boat, but he's had moments where we even pointed it out in the last two games. He's played smart basketball. He hasn't shot out the three. He's attacked the basket. He seems to be better defensively or attempting to be better defensively. Grabbed nine rebounds two games ago. I expect him to contribute. They need a guy off the bench in the front court to contribute, and I don't know the backstory, but he was not in uniform. Will comes out in the post game and says that he violated team rules, automatic one-game suspension. He apologized, yada, 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 At this point, I don't care what it is. If you're a part of this team, you have to keep your head on straight and not think about yourself. Well, Like I said, I don't know what happened. Maybe he didn't go to class. Maybe he missed a curfew. I, we just don't know. The point is, the other guys on this team are buying into what needs to be done. I need Torian to be doing the same thing. His teammates need him to be doing that, and he wasn't there for them last night.
0: Mike, this happens... Every single year on the Willard team. You're disappointed. Thompson needs to buy in and everyone else is buying into the system. Mike, who almost got thrown off the team last year, please? could you Do you remember last year? Who almost got thrown I off remember, the team? I remember. Who, Ish name, got give me a name.
1: Ish, Ishmael Sunogo, one of the most integral pieces of that team last year, almost got thrown out. The guy Not that suspended. brings his
0: lunch pail to every game and his hard hat, does whatever you want, guarded four positions on that court, and he's getting thrown off the team mike eyes getting suspended off of a willard team mean nothing to me he pulls people green seconds into the game he suspends people he throw he's almost throwing ish off the team no none of this means anything to me to me this says willard doesn't have a hold on his team ever that's what that means to me
1: i don't want this bullet point to be about willard i want this bullet point to be about thompson are we ever going to see him reach his potential in pirate blue at this point there's a big question mark around that and i'd like to see the impact this year but they have some real potential in the future he was supposed to be a part of that i'm really concerned that he's even going to be part of this process going forward
0: he's 20 years old kids may mistakes. You remember when you were 20? I know it was a long time ago for you, Mikey, but you remember when you were 20? Did you ever make a mistake? I'm not going to bury the kid for whatever happened here. I don't know what happened. Don't care what happened. You never missed a class. You never
1: skipped a class. This never happened to you, Mike. How about he just comes out and proves everybody wrong? I think we all want to be proved wrong. Until he does that, until he creates the consistency on the court, until he creates the consistency off the court and and stays out of whatever issue. him the, the One game suspension. Put up or shut up. The the team has a chance to still make the NCAA tournament. They do need him. I'm not saying he needs to be a savior. He needs to be a part of the process. And last night, he was not part of that process. And they could have used him. They absolutely could have used him.
0: Okay, moving on to another point we kind of discussed uh, right after the game. We were talking about how the crowd seemed a little weak. Now, I'm going to let you go through what you thought of the crowd. And I got some inside information about it. So I'm going to let you go first.
1: I was a season ticket holder for a long time. That doesn't make me an expert on. On, on crowd involvement, and what a crowd should be like. But when we were into games, whether I was a student, whether I was sitting in my normal seats with the with the alumni, you know, we would get the defense chance going once in a while. You know, when the team needed a spark. I didn't hear one defense, defense. Do you hear that once from the crowd last night? I didn't. Not in that entire lull from the 14-5 run that we started with until we had the run to the end. It was just this massive lull. Then they basically kind of stand up at the two minute mark. That was nice to see. And apparently, according to what people wrote, you know, they carried them to the the finish line, but there are times where I don't feel like we have this true home court advantage, where it's so raucous, it's so intense, that I think in those types of environments in other venues, you see the referees kind of get caught up in the moment, and the call tends to go with the home team. There's been a couple games at The Rock where I look back and go, wow, that was a true home environment from the opening tip till the very buzzer. I remember the Xavier game, the 15-16 season, when Xavier was in the top five, and we knocked him off the last game of the regular season at home and we were like bloom out of the the, the gates right from the get-go and that crowd was electric it just doesn't feel that way that's just my opinion watching the game on tv
0: even the last two minutes it didn't sound like the crowd was into it so it's a little strange that the players came out saying it was a good crowd jerry carino and his piece came out said it was a good crowd there's a bunch of articles saying the crowd really carried it through but i don't know if I actually heard that, and to be honest with you, I had a couple people hit me up and talk to me about it. Longtime Left Coast Pirates listener Jenny Coons from Wall Township told us that it was the biggest student section she's seen in a long time, and she goes to a lot of games. But she said everybody was kind of socializing and partying instead of paying attention to the game. Maybe they weren't watching the game. It's a Saturday night; they're kids. I don't know. But I'll ask you this: the kids in Omaha next week are going to pack that arena, and they're going to scream their heads off.
1: They're they're known to be a raucous crowd. They're going to have 15,000. They're going to be loud. They're going to be into it. Long-time LCP listener. Has Jenny listened to all 10 podcasts?
0: She is, loves is that, it. Does, she doesn't miss it, and she usually says, does anything make Tom happy? She, he's always complaining about something.
1: Like, maybe we're holding them to a standard that we're just never going to reach, but Creighton, we're going on the road. We're going to see that. Duke, the Xavier game that we had a couple of years ago, you heard it on the television. It carried through. So if we were as loud as other people were saying, the crowd was as good as people reported, how Come, that didn't resonate. Was it just like the audio feed from the television not that good this game? I just, I, I don't know. I didn't see it.
0: I don't know. Maybe it was a Fox production issue. I don't know. While I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, wow, this crowd is dead. I mean, it's not like we're giving them a whole mess to cheer about, but the crowd seemed to be sitting on their hands most
1: of that game, even during the runs. Like I said, I, I think it's because of the droughts. So let's talk about the droughts. It's getting to a point where it's painful to watch. So that might be a direct correlation to what the fans are sitting on their hands because they don't really have anything to cheer about. And we're not talking about a couple minutes here or there. They are prolonged droughts. It's also been an MO of the Willard era. And we say, hey, you know, we go through stretches. We're like, wow, where'd that come from? And then we digress back to these extensive periods where we can't throw the ball in the ocean. And it happened again last night. So, in the first half, we had a period in which we missed nine consecutive shots. And in that same stretch for about 10 minutes, we made one field goal. And in the second half, we had a stretch for about 11 minutes and four. 40 seconds where we only scored seven points, and it resulted in a 19 point swing against us when we were up by 12. And then all of a sudden, we looked like we were down by seven. If I'm a fan and I'm taking all that in, yeah, you're probably not going to get up off your seat. You're probably not going to get into a defensive, you know, let's rally the troops kind of mindset. But if you have a sold out environment or a packed house, I feel like you need that when the team is down. But the offense is just totally inconsistent still. And I don't see how we're going to be able to consistently win games on the road with that. That being the bigger issue.
0: I don't know if I want to talk about this again, Mike. People are going to think that they're listening to last week's podcast or podcast from three weeks ago. We've been talking about the same thing for weeks on end. And here's what I don't get. We've got a lot of good playmakers and potential on this team that we're not using to their fullest abilities. I mean, Anthony Nelson is a pick and roll machine. He can break his guys down off the dribble. He gets to the rim and then he makes good passes. I mean, he had five assists and Thirteen minutes the last night.
1: Yeah, but but he was a minus seven on the defensive side. So I don't know if you're going to play into this plus minus stuff. I know Willard takes it very seriously, uh, and if you don't produce on the defensive side, you don't get the minutes. It
0: gives think- us a different dimension on the court. It actually gives us someone that makes plays. I mean, again, what do I always say that I like about Sandro's game? I always say I like the fact that he's a playmaker. He can make the good pass. Why? Aren't we playing a little high low with him like Angel and Desi did occasionally the last few years? Him and Enzi can play that role because he can get that pass in. Another thing, why are we not running more? I know we don't hit the boards that well and that cuts into the opportunities, but everyone talks about how we get the turnovers. We play good defense. And I get it. Q's not really a point, so he can't run that break all that well. Sandra ran the break last night, looked great on it. I am dying to see
1: Nelson on the break to a cutting kale. I got a couple follow-ups to that little that little diatribe there. So, Mama was always looked good on the break for the most part. He, he had that one play where he dribbled right into Enzi's uh, backside uh, when we lost the Providence game, but besides that, he is normally pretty confident on the fast break. So, I'd like to see us grab a rebound and, and push a little more. We are not grabbing rebounds with confidence. There's the difference. So, yes, we're getting beat on the boards. When we finally do corral a rebound, they are in complete security mode trying to grab that rebound instead of confidently going up, snatching it like Delgado used to, and immediately looking to turn into outlet. I also agree with you. I I can't believe I'm agreeing with you. Q is not a confident run-the-break type point guard. He gets out there, and he's hesitant. He's trying trying to make sure he doesn't get lost in traffic, where a natural point guard gets to the middle of the floor. His head is up. It's on a swivel. You got guys sprinting down the wings. We don't run a cohesive fast break, and it's because, oh, I'm blaming Q. It's, just, it's not natural at it. I'd love to see Q filling the lane as a, as a finisher on our fast breaks instead of being the facilitator. And you're right that that requires Nelson to be in the game, and he does not let Nelson get those kind of minutes alongside Q, alongside anybody lately, to be honest.
0: I don't understand... You've got the horses. You've got the ability. Change it up a little bit. We're not getting that good, consistent, fast break that I thought we were going to get this year.
1: I would like to see our defense lead to more offense, considering our defense is one of our stronger attributes on this team. My bigger issue with this game is, once again, we talked about it being a bunch of runs. When we get on a run, what is with the mass substitutions? So let's let's rewind all the way back to the beginning of this game. 14-5 to 5, out of the gate. We were off for a week. We're only at like the 15-minute mark of this game. We played five minutes of basketball. Q goes to the line to shoot a free throw, misses it. The next whistle, he's out. And not only is he out, but he was one of four guys that were subbed out in that sequence. Four. So now I have Roden in the game. I believe Nelson got in. I think Gil came in and Shavar came in. So all of a sudden we got them on the ropes down nine. And all of a sudden we're playing, we're back to the hockey substitution pattern. And what what blows my mind is he tries to defend it with coach speak. And and the coach speak, it it made me angry. I I don't want to fight with Willard, right? But here's, here's the quote. We're coming off our 2nd bye bi-week. So I was really worried about early on the five guys getting gassed because we haven't played in forever. Willard explained schedule excuses again. They're at 19 years old, 20, 20 years old, you haven't played basketball for a week other than practice, and five minutes is going to empty the tank? What am I missing here?
0: And it was 14-5 to 5 at that point, so it's not like we're in a marathon at this point, running up and down the court. But more importantly, with the mass substitutions, forget about when it actually happened. You substitute four guys at a single time, you're losing cohesiveness on a team. Guys start to feel like they're playing well together. You substitute one or two guys, it's not that hard to build them in but now you got four guys who are coming in who have no rhythm of the game yet and you're also putting in four bench guys four young guys in and expecting them to keep the run rolling when you've only got one true and tried veteran on the court with them it doesn't work that way you've got to work them in slow you know you want to give miles powell a break fine bring in anthony at the point move q to the two it's time to spell q bring cheese back in Get Nelson some extended minutes with a little safety blanket around him. Get him in there when you've got three guys that have got some experience to get him
1: moving. Here's my problem. If you want to run with that little three-man rotation, I have no problem with that. It goes back to the hockey substitutions, getting inexperienced guys on the court together. You mentioned it, lack of cohesiveness, when we have ability to keep our feet on their throats at that moment. And what's happening is the competition is not subbing out their guys, and we're going Bench versus their bench they're keeping their starters in and that's exactly what happened all of a sudden boom Creighton goes on the 10-0 run as you're playing our four inexperienced guys against their five starters it just doesn't make sense so if Willard wants to match up because they go to their bench and he wants to bring in Gil match up against a different big off their bench I'm okay with that but that's not what happened here we complained about Jay Wright drilling threes when we're down by 30 and he knows how to go for the kill we are never up by double digits twice we had a chance to take a 10 point lead and push it to 17, maybe 20, break their spirits. We never do that. We're always in a a rock fight. We're always coming down to the final possession. And here is a chance to basically take a team that's struggling and run them out of your building. That's the frustration.
0: It's been nine years, and I don't know that Willard still has a handle on how to sub guys in and out. He just doesn't seem to have much of a flow with it. I don't know if he knows his own roster. But I'll tell you what was one thing that was really interesting toward the end the game. They ended the game with Roden on the floor out for Sandro, which is kind of eye-opening. Yes, Sandro had a couple baskets early then went blank for the rest of the game, but he was oh, still no grabbing idea. rebounds, you though. I had
1: no idea. I'm, I'm sitting there watching the game going, Tommy's going to get it. There's a three from Sandro to start. There's a put back in an M1. There's six quick points. He was into the game. I'm like, my monologue to start this is going to be, can you get off Sandro's back? And then for the next 29 minutes, it's unfortunate, but he went into the tank again offensively. You he had a good game on the defensive side. Grabbed ten rebounds. I don't know if
0: it's good game on a defensive side. Crumple was uh, making him, s- scored his career high. He went 25
1: and 10 on him for crying out loud. That's good on defense. Crumple scored on everybody that we matched up against him. He scored on Enzi. He scored on Gill. He scored on our guards because Willard loves to switch the pick and roll, you know, with reckless abandon, and he gets mismatched all day long. He had a great game. Another career high for an opponent. Drives me nuts. It is what it is. You're right. When when a guy gets Sandro deep in the block, he comes up soft, but he still grabbed 10 boards, and, he, and he's giving the effort, at least. We talked about it last podcast. If Willard has to reel him in by giving him less minutes, then that's okay. i shocked that the, the solution was Roden, but Roden always gives a good effort. I, I had no issue with that, but we were getting beat because they were playing two bigs, and I got Roden gu- guarding their power forward. That says a lot to know that Willard was going to go that undersized uh, with a freshman and not play Sandro down the stretch there. That was, I'm not saying it was a bad move because he wasn't playing well again, but it was interesting to kind of see how it played itself out. Rodin a- does
0: definitely have his moments, though. He seems to always be around the ball. I mean, I mean, I wish the kid would stop shooting at three and work on other points of his game at this time in his career, but he has a knack of coming up with loose balls, with rebounds, and hey, at the end of that game, he grabbed that board, and that was the game.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, like I, Once again, he's playing his role. I have no issue there. It was more of an indictment of Sandro. Normally he's in the game. He's one of Willard's guys down the stretch and Willard didn't call his number. It was just, it was kind of telling. What was also telling, which is really kind of head scratching at this point, is Kale not getting enough shots. I I don't get it. He took, what, a total of seven shots this game and one of his shots that registered in the box score was his half-court attempt to, to end the first half. Kale has got to get more than six shots in a game at this point if this team wants to be successful moving forward. So we're talking about some of the takeaways that we need to improve upon. Kale has probably been the most consistent player besides Powell and Q. Why is he not getting the shots? I think he loses a bit of
0: aggression when Miles Powell goes into his, you know, miles mode. He's, he shows flashes. That step back three that he hit was sick. I mean, I didn't know that he had that move in him.
1: He's taken a lot of it. That's the problem. is, then When he misses it, everyone's killing him. When he makes it, it's, it's pretty impressive. He, they're not running any offense from him. It's all his own creation off the dribble. Why can't we get this guy moving off of, of a pick? Why can't we get him on a dribble handoff and just get his momentum going to the basket? He's a slasher. He's athletic. I know he had some issues finishing at the rim earlier in the season, but he seems have gotten that kind of straightened out let's get this guy some more shots
0: well i think part of it is a function of not running more he is our most dynamic athlete on that team if we ran a little more if we released him on the break he would get he should be getting four points on fast break in a slow game that would bump him into double digit scoring easy but he, everything is hard. We're not getting easy baskets for anybody on this team.
1: All right, so I said be optimistic. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. At the end of this game when I was when they were walking away with the victory, I said to myself, "Thank God it's a win." It kind of felt like the same situation after the Providence game. They did not pass the eye test for me. So once again, they needed the win to stay in the tournament hunt. Still did not feel like a t- tournament team. They cleaned up some issues. They got better with the turnover battle. They strengthened their rebounding position in the second half. They gave up 11 offensive rebounds in the first 10 minutes of the game and they only gave up five the rest of the way and they only lost the rebound margin by about like three or four at that point. I think there were some positives, but the things that we just highlighted, I'm not saying we have to clean them all up, but we can't have four or five glaring issues and then, like you said, go on the road and beat the same team in about a week's time. I'm with you. It's going to be a tough place to play. Forget about just Creighton. They can't have this many glaring issues and find a way to get another four or five wins on this schedule. It's just not going to happen. Well, from a
0: positive standpoint, point, the broadcast was pretty solid. But Mike, back to our favorite segment, Stupid Stuff the announcer Said. What did you hear this week?
1: I'm with you. I think Allah did a pretty good job. Allah Abdinabi was on the call. And for a guy who has a very difficult last name to say in, over the years, I think he, uh, he was trying to throw a bone to, to Sandro. Throughout the entire game he was announcing his full last name and his play-by-play guy actually even acknowledged it. And he said to him, he goes, well, he goes, when you have a last name like mine, you kind of got to show some respect and kind of bang out the full name, you know, all the time. But right before that, they were talking about previous Seton Hall players that had kind of moved on from this roster as we had a young team. And I took exception to this. I, I know you say you got to give the guy a pass because, you know, sometimes you get mush mouth on the radio. It happens to us here on the podcast. But he called Angel Delgado, Adrian Delgado. I'm not okay okay with that. I'm
0: just not. That is a bad move by Ala Abdul nabi
1: It's not like Delgado graduated 10 years ago. He was here last year. He was one of the Big East players of the year. I mean, first team All-Big East. Big East all-time leading rebounder. He was the face of the team. Adrian Delgado? Come on. But Mike, and got worse for after
0: that. After a Creighton player gets called for a travel on an attempted Eurostep, Ala goes and pulls this gem out of his butt. That wasn't a Eurostep. That was something from a different content Continent. Which I, continent I, are we talking about, Allah? I
1: have no idea. I Once again, I wonder if you have this stuff kind of like pre-planned, and the minute that it happens, you're just going to whip it out. Was it? Tim Brando does it all the time. He, when when Desi was playing, he's like, Desi goes babaloo It's like he had that saved for the minute that Desi does anything good in that game a couple of years back. It's, it's like if, you, if you're going to have pre-written material, at least make it good. I mean, what the heck was that from another continent? Allah called a good game, but but he had a, those two missteps were kind of funny.
0: No. It was a good game. I, I, I enjoyed the broadcast. And I, I, Alla has actually a lot of good uh, insights. And I, I actually enjoyed that when they showed the statistic that Crump has more dunks this season than Ala did in his career. That was that was a nice little shot. and He took that well.
1: What was with the crumple being compared to Zion Williamson? Does it matter that crumple has got more dunks than Zion Williamson? I mean, what, was it just trying to, like, boost up the Big East or something? I, I didn't get that either.
0: I don't know. You got to fill a lot of dead space at times on these games. And, and, you know, what would be a college basketball broadcast without bringing Zion Williamson up?
1: I understand that why they were trying to fill dead air because there really weren't that many, whoa, did you see that moments in today's game. I'm sitting there trying to kind of fill this next segment for us and I'm jotting down notes and I, I didn't have much. I was like, let's go to Shavar's three in the corner. Did you see that? A little, little sarcasm maybe, right? Or I didn't understand why kale didn't get that uh, block charge call late in the game. That to me goes back to the, the lack of that home court environment. The guy's like literally falling on his face and Kale gets called for the block in a very crucial moment. A- at the end of the day, I'm gonna lean towards what you were telling me over Texas. We're watching. What a block by Powell from behind on Cromple. He's got four fouls. I mean, that could have been a big three to change the, the momentum, and he-, he pulls it back from behind, then he's off on the on the other end for a fast break. That was that was pretty impressive. And you forget
0: sometimes that Powell is kind of a short player. I mean, he's only 6'2, and when he pulls some of these uh, moves out, like some of the dunks and some a block like that, you tend to forget man he is a really athletic guy
1: he's just not gonna get the accolades that he probably deserves with the pirates struggling i mean there was a game on earlier the day i'm not sure if you got a chance to see it but the marquee game on fox was nova versus marquette and howard once again went off for 38 the guy is like taking over the big east right now I mean, he's putting in 30-plus. He's putting in 40-plus. He had more than 50% of Marquette's points in that game in order to pull out the victory. It was impressive. I don't know if you got a chance to watch it. We've
0: got Georgetown coming up next at home, and they're coming to us. I think they're a little underrated, and maybe they've been playing a little under their potential because they've got a tough front line, Mike, and they've got a sneaky good backcourt as well. A pair of freshmen who are going for 27.6 rebounds and 7 assists combined for the season so far. A pair of freshmen. They're not waiting for them to
1: develop, are they, Mike? I don't care. They gotta hold serve. All these teams that are muddled in the middle of the Big East standings right now, everyone's tied for third place at 5-6. and Everyone's gotta now start to take a step forward and separate themselves from the pack. We're the home team. Maybe Georgetown's better than us. I don't know. But you want to make the NCAA tournament. You want to solidify yourself as the third place team in the Big East. You have to win your home games against all the teams in the middle of the pack. I don't care. I don't care if their front court's good. I don't care if their freshmen are stepping up. Time for us to impose our will at home against the middle of the pack of this conference.
0: And that's the kind of analysis people come to expect when they listen to Left Coast Pirates. Mike, let me ask you a question, though. Would this be a good time to start Romaro Gill?
1: I don't know. The, their front court can step out and shoot when you have Govan, you know, coming out behind the three point line. You, you've seen so far that Gill does not do well with anybody that can stretch the floor beyond the arc. So that's not a good matchup. I don't know much about the rest of their front court, but from what I've seen, not that they're big, they're big and athletic. They, they can move. Bro needs the kind of guy that's kind of a plotting type forward to kind of match up against. Or he has to have a guy who's not going to pull him away from the basket. And then he can be there to erase the mistakes from the guards up top. I don't know what kind of team Georgetown is. I have not seen them play to that extent. They're just, they're playing confident basketball right now. But if I'm not mistaken, they had a pretty bad loss this past weekend. They lost at home. Who who did they lose at home to?
0: It was Providence, I think.
1: Yeah, you can't lose that game at home. You know my opinion on Providence this year. So like I said, the middle of this is is all jumbled up. I don't know who's gonna step up to be the hero. It could be Gil.
0: Well, it's not like they lost to DePaul at home, Mike. You know what I'm saying? Uh,
1: here we go. Here we go. Debbie Downer's back. I'm
0: just saying.
1: Look, we could be surprised. It could be Torian Thompson. That's the hero next game. For all we know, there is not this definitive consistency for anybody but Powell. So I don't know. It's, it's every game is a toss-up. It is what it is. I keep on saying it. Let's go watch the games and see. I, I expect them to win still. They need to win, and then they go travel out to Creighton, which once again you'd think they have no shot in heck.
0: It's not that I don't think they've got no shot in heck. I, it's a tough place to win. You're going to have 15,000 crazed Creighton fans screaming at the top of their heads that Creighton will not shoot as poorly as they did this past weekend. It's going to be a tough game. I agree.
1: Yeah, but, but Creighton hasn't beaten anybody. So Creighton's now 4-7 and seven after they lost to us. Creighton has wins against Butler, Georgetown, Xavier, and Providence. It's the bottom of the conference. I mean, if, if we beat Georgetown, they're 5-7. and seven. So their four wins are against who?
0: And we've who lost to Butler and we've lost to Providence.
1: Mike, it's not like we're burning the doors down in this season. I'm just saying normally you go to Creighton and everyone's like that's a tough place to play. Creighton this year is only 8-5 and five at home. Have to make up one of those losses to Paul. This might be the opportunity to make up that loss to Paul. I get it. It's a tough building to play in, but the last 10 games that they play Creighton, we are 7-3 and three against them, including the Big East tournament. So I'll ask you this. Does Willard have Daddy Bucket's number? You only say the McDermott's a better coach, but 7-3 and three in the last 10 is telling me a different story. And in the last two years, so
0: let's take the more recent seasons into consideration. We've split basically our games in the last two seasons against Creighton, and we had more talent on those teams than Creighton did. But it just. Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. They had Kyrie Thomas, who got drafted to the NBA. They had Marcus Foster. I I can't, his name's not coming to me right now, but they had a dynamic point guard the year before who kind of blew out his knee midseason. I mean, they've had some talented guys, no? Uh, they, they had the big seven-footer Patton that got drafted in the NBA. Ooh, whoa, whoa. You, you said they have no talent. I just no, gave I did you not f-
0: say they did not have any talent. I'm saying that on an individual basis. They didn't graduate three 2,000-point scorers last year, Michael. That's
1: because their guys left at the NBA early. They decided not Stop to stay around it. for four years. I'm just saying it's not the same Creighton team. They don't have that kind of depth of the talent that we just described. They have some nice pieces, and they're just not ready to gel and play at that level yet so you're right they're probably not going to shoot 13 percent from their starting four guards maybe our defense still holds them to the you know low 30s maybe we get we get to another you know rock fight again i, I want to play this team in a rock fight that's our style i don't want to play creighton in the high 80s
0: i can see this turning quickly into another app butler mike where we get down double digits with minutes to go and we make some furious comeback and then our last hope comes with a three second shot from powell from the top of the key again that's not a way
1: to win it absolutely could end up that way. But if they find a way to run these two next week, then they got Xavier back at home to start the following week. I know you said it's it's probably not going to happen, but you asked for 4-0. So you keep the momentum and get the Georgetown win. Never know what can happen in this Creighton Road game. Then all of a sudden you come back against Xavier who's now flat out bottom of the Big East. That could be your 4-0. That could you be. Pull, pull out that 4-0, you're now 8-6 and and wow, we're singing a different story all of a sudden. No? 8-6
0: and six, and all of a sudden we've got at Georgetown, at St.
1: John's, and Mark. Marquette and Nova at the end of the season. This still looks one. like an 8 I, and 10. I, I still think we only need one of those though. I said if we get to that point, we'll debate whether 9 and 9 is good enough, but you win the next three, let's let let's start with one at a time again, but if they happen to win the next three, you're now 17 and 9. 17 and 9 is a very strong position, not only relative to the Big East, but to the NCAA tournament. I'm going to say what I said to to end the last podcast. Can we please just play the game? Can we go one step at a time? We haven't, even, we haven't seen the Hoyas once this year. Let's let, Let's play the Hoyas in our building, and let's see if we got what we need to kind of take the next step. You I will them. pull
0: a Willard and say this schedule is really strange, man. We've played Paul twice already. We've played Providence twice before we even seen Georgetown once. It's a strange schedule. I am not going to go down this path.
1: Let's play the game that's on the schedule in front of you. These kids are 18 to 22. They should have their legs underneath them. I don't care whether it's travel. I don't care whether it's on the road. Just go play the game. They have an opportunity in front of them. Them. They got to clean up some things. They're still in it.
0: Wednesday night at The Rock should be interesting. If you've enjoyed this <laughs> podcast, check out our other archived podcasts, including interviews with John Yablonsky, Mike McEnany, and shuhoops.com founder Chris McManus or Mike Dizzy DeZeri. This is Tommy Chilkoharsky, and this has been Left Coast Pirates.